It's the Total Water Polo Podcast. Today, we start an effort to talk with coaches all over the U.S. about what water polo is like right now as we continue to battle this pandemic. Brian Flax is the head coach at Harvard West Lake in Los Angeles, California, and Paul Split at St. Xavier in Cincinnati, Ohio. And COVID has changed uh, their, their seasons, their programs, as you will hear, in really profoundly different ways. And that's what we want to share with you in this and future podcasts. So here you go, Brian Flax and Paul Split. Paul Split co-founded Moose Water Polo in Cincinnati in 2010, and he's now the head coach of the boys at St. Xavier High School. Hey, Paul, is it called St. X? Is that the is that the nickname? Yeah, you can go St. X. You can oh. call it X, uh, St. Xavier. <laughs> is that right? one? Any one of those works. Okay. he's uh, He is actually one of my colleagues as a head coach of the Great Lakes Region Boys uh, Youth ODP team and has won a couple state championships with uh, Milford and Cincinnati Mavericks over the years. And then Brian Flax is uh, one of the rising stars in the American water polo community. In fact, I'm going to be scouring the headlines for that date when I you take over one of the big four colleges. That's just me. You don't have to comment on that. Um, he's the head coach and several times CIF championship winner at Harvard Westlake School national team coach and founder of the highly successful LA Premier Club. Paul and Brian, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's awesome. So the idea here is that we'll, do, uh, we'll st- you know, we're going to dive into what the state of the game is, uh, at, particularly at the high school level throughout the whole country. But uh, you're two good samples to, to take from from uh, different areas of the country. So this is going to be the first of hopefully uh, a bunch of conversations with coaches uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping. So we want to get into that. But Paul, first of all, so your team is up against uh, Milford in just a couple of weeks. And you were featured way back in July, I think, in the Cincinnati Inquirer as one team among uh, many who are, began training. Um, so tell us in general, what, in, what is the state of the game, um, especially at the high school level in Ohio? Like, where, where do you stand at this point? That's, uh, honestly, there's, there's a lot of layers to that. So that's a great question. We are, we are starting a spring season. We've been traditionally a fall sport. And then over the summer, we decided as a coaches association, we're not a state sanctioned sport through Ohio. So context, we are governed by our coaches association. And then we have most of our programs are through the athletic department at their school. So it's like at St. Xavier, our athletic director oversees our program, but we don't have a state sanction or state sponsor. So we have to oversee it. So we, as a coaches association in the summer, decided to move out of the, out of the fall and into the spring this year. And we are fast approaching the spring. So we've decided that we're going to start March 1st and then go through and our state championship weekend is May 22nd and 23rd. Now, that being said, it normally we're able to to travel a little bit. There's a lot of restrictions on that. And uh, we are really limited to Ohio. So our season this year is Ohio competing in Ohio as opposed to Ohio competing out of it. And we are most of our tournaments have been successfully transitioned from the fall to the spring. Some pools have some issues with that, but for the most part, we have a pretty good skeleton where almost every weekend we have a tournament and we have local home games set up. But because of that, we increased our local home games to be, instead of playing each other once, we're doing twice just to up those games. So we're, we're getting started. We're getting everything already. And we've been, we've been finalizing our schedules. It's been a lot of talk and now we're at the finalization part. Well, it looks to me that that public that that schedule has been published. So I'm assuming that it'll be revised as as required. But but at least you've got something down on paper. 
Yeah, for sure. So like the, the schedule, it's, it's been, it, it's been finalized, but we, we have said in every meeting that everything is obviously, obviously subject to change, whether right. it's the home games or it's the tournaments, the, how many, how many people are allowed in there. So those are a lot of the things that are, are, have an asterisk next to everything. But the idea is in Ohio, we didn't see, we didn't see sports end in the fall or the winter. Every, every team that played every program that, or rather every sport that existed in our state was able to play to a championship. And we've been able to get through, like we got through our, our football season. We got through, we're getting through basketball. So those are the main ones and uh, soccer made it all the way through tennis and all of these sports have made it through. So we feel pretty good about where we are. We've been able to lean on these other sports. How did they do it? What worked more importantly, what didn't work and let's avoid that and modify it. So we feel as a coaches association, really good about what we can get this spring. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to actually at some point, the actual, what your training really just looks like because it's, it differs all over the country. I think that's one of the most fascinating things, but Brian, maybe you could share a little bit. You have games on your agenda the situation in California seems to be just crazily fluid. Um, there was another, uh, your, your commissioner, Rob Wygod, came out with, a, with encouraging words about a recent report from the NFHS. NFHS, is, I, I always get that wrong. NFHS, yeah. Um, so that, that came out earlier on Tuesday. So you have games on the schedule, but it does not appear like you've played. What's the state of things for Harvard-Westlake and for the Southern section? Um, yeah, so you, you, you put it, I think, correctly. Um, California obviously is probably the worst state in the country um, in terms of uh, virus transmission. And also we at Harvard West Lake are in Los Angeles County, which I think is the worst county in the country. So uh, um, the Southern section is interesting because it's such a, I think it's the biggest, that is the biggest section in the country has the most amount of teams. So unlike Paul and a lot of the sections, we are not able to switch and move uh, water polo to the spring. It's just not possible with the amount of swim teams and pool space and all of the issues that arise from that. Um, so uh, we're technically in the middle of our season right now. They won't push back the end date. So we end in the middle, uh, middle, late March. So we're hopeful if things continue to clear up that we might get some league games in. I think uh, one of the interesting things will be that there are so many counties in the Southern section that, you know, schools like in Orange County, they may end up actually opening up in the next couple of weeks and get uh, uh, a decent amount of games where, where us in LA County, we're in a little bit more difficult situation where we um, are a little less optimistic, I think, about getting getting games in. I think maybe at best at this point, we're getting some league games in, um, but it's it's been tough. You are obviously one of the um, common participants in these huge tournaments that take place in California, Northern California and elsewhere. Does that also mean from the standpoint of your school that you're not going to travel anywhere? Like, could you travel somewhere that was allowing competition? So um, the governor has issued a uh, recommendation or a guideline that if a uh, we are connected in the state of California to a, a tier system, uh, we have different colored tier system. Um, so right now we're in the purple tier, which is uh, widespread transmission of the coronavirus. We have to drop down two tiers, I believe. Uh, I can't, I always get confused with red or orange yeah. to be able to uh, uh, start competing, to have contact in sports. So each sport, depending on um, the level of contact or whatever they have deemed as, um, as highly transmissible um, is, is connected to a tier. So water polo is connected, I believe, to the, to the red tier, similar to football, similar to soccer. And we are far from that at this point, which is, which is scary. Um, uh, 
but what they've said is that if you are in the purple tier and the county next to you is in the red tier, you can't travel from the purple tier to the red tier to compete. So we're still stuck in those LA County guidelines. And as long as we're stuck in those guidelines, I can't imagine that being possible, at least under um, the schools. Schools aren't willing to take on that type of liability. Um, so I, I, that's part of the reason in LA County, I'm less optimistic because even if Orange County drops into the red tier, we can't travel there and compete against them. Wow. I mean, that brings up all kinds of feelings. I bet Paul feels the same way. It's like so very, very frustrating. And, but everybody, everybody's, ge everybody's geography is different and politics are different as, as well. I wanted to quote from the report that the NFHS re uh, released on Tuesday, which is, they said that quote, proven cases of direct COVID-19 transmission during athletics remain relatively rare and that the majority of sports related spread of COVID-19 appears to uh, occur from social contact, not during sports participation. So that's what was quoted, or at least that's what uh, Rob Wygod, who's the Southern Section Commissioner, referred to when he said he was encouraged by it. My understanding is that the next step in California is for those recommendations to go to the California Department of Public Health. Uh, Brian, do you have any, any idea about whether, when that might happen, when you might get feedback? Because uh, just, uh, I sort of buried the lead. This, the report also said that tiering, um, putting sports in tiers was no longer necessary. So there were no higher and lower risk sports. They're basically all considered the same risk, which I think, once again, you could argue that we sort of knew that a year ago. But um, what, what, what do you know about what the next steps might be? And are they going to be quick enough for you guys to be able to do anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to imagine to start with the, your last question there. It's hard to imagine for anything to happen quick enough for us to get any semblance of the season. Um, and I, I should have probably mentioned this earlier. They've already canceled our CIF championship. Yeah. So there will be no championships in the Southern section this year. Yep. And the idea behind that was if they cancel that championship, it does allow teams another week or two um, mm. to have season to, to have games still. Okay. There was a better chance of that happening, um, which I think was a really smart move by the by uh, by CIF. To answer the first part of the question, there has been um, significant progress in the last week or two. One is the transmission rate is really down. I think uh, we've dropped significantly in terms of percentages, um, and that's promising. Uh, that's kind of coincided with the Let Them Play rally, which yes. is a big uh, rally in Orange County with a whole bunch of coaches that had just met with Governor Newsom. And he actually gave a promising uh, press release yesterday where he seemed more confident about the ability to have sports. Now, he was referring, it seems like mainly to football, which they're going to go into April. So what there's a shocker about that. Yeah. And also, when you think about water polo versus football, Water polo, we're allowed 36 games in our season. Football, you're playing 10 games. So it's a lot, it's a lot more feasible for them to get a real good uh, good schedule and a, and a whole bunch of games on, um, for those kids. Right. Understandable. I, the comparisons with football are always hilarious, especially since I'm in Texas. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, so, Paul, what does you, – you hopped in the pool again way back in July. Is that right? Yeah, we actually we, – we had a, a brief blip. So first of all, I want to address what, what Brian said about, you know, they got too many teams. This is the first time where having few teams in a state has actually been a, a positive. Like we've been able to switch, you know, that. like we're always like, oh, how do we grow the sport? Well, in this scenario, having 14 boys teams in the state and 10 girls teams in the state actually worked to our benefit. We could, we're very valuable that way. But we, last year, we had a, a short stint where sports were shut down, March, April, 
ish May. And then uh, our athletic department was looking into different ways that we can do things. How can we do this safely and get back in the pool? How do we get athletes back in the field, et cetera, et cetera. And then in June, we were able to June of 2020, we were actually able to start practices again. And we were not able to go contact yet. So we, we went all of June with workouts. It was mostly conditioning, kept the lane lines in, had kids separated, did that whole thing. And then by, by July, we were actually able to go full contact. I kept it no contact until I knew that we were going to go with a season. And then we got towards the end of July and you could see that the kids were getting kind of restless, but we were also able to, to get a lot of good workouts in and teams were actually starting to, to compete we were having club things going on. So we introduced contact and we were actually able to do even a fall camp. We never really stopped. We didn't go every day. We went a couple days a week, couple hours. And we did a lot of like two on two, three on three type scrimmages in our practices. We didn't really do a lot of uh, seven on seven, but we were able to, to maintain a normal workout. And that carried on through till the end of October in Ohio, our swim season is November, December, January, February. We're this coming weekend is the first weekend of our swimming playoffs. So we have sectionals, district, state. So we're wrapping it up. And we went all the way up until the beginning of swim season. And then mid December, uh, we started to redo some water polo workouts, like getting pool time in swim season in Ohio is you're not going to get it. Like it's, it, it's, we, as low as we are in water polo, we're the opposite of that in swimming. And we were able to, to get some Sunday workouts in. We're still doing those until our, our season begins in, in March. So we, we really haven't had to stop. The pauses that we had were very initial. And then I've hit pause on a few things just because you know, I've got some health concerns. My wife is pregnant and if I contract anything, she would kill me. So I do it mostly out of self-preservation. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. Hi, this is Melissa Seidemann, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and you're listening to the Total Water Polo podcast. And now, part two of today's conversation. is really sort of setting the rules that you're following is it and I, I can speak anecdotally for me it's my facility and and the person who's affiliated with the facility is my boss the swim coach now he's following the mandates that come out of the city of round rock and the travis county um but but what it indicates is that it's not really clear cut it's not we are being told by this body to do these things. So I'm wondering how it is that you came about your decision to have it reintroduce contact uh, and, or not to reintroduce contact. How did that come about? That's, that's a very layered question to that. So we were able to introduce contact again uh, at my discretion. And it was, uh, we, we have to follow our safety guidelines for our building and St. Xavier, I, I have to give them a massive amount of credit. They, their medical staff, their training staff did an, an insane amount of research. And every single day that we show up, every kid has to do contact tracing and they have to fill out a form. They have to get things scanned, their temperature, but it, it's not, hi, I'm 
this is my name and it's my temperature. It's what have you done today? Where have you been with whom wow. have you been in contact? So they, they were very in depth with that to do the research. So our facility, we've been able to say any positive cases, they're not coming from competition. They're coming from outside. So our research showed that. And our athletic department said, if you are following these specific guidelines that we have set, you can do as you want. Just don't go outside of that. And if you are going outside of that and you're having a problem, there will be a bigger problem. If you're staying inside of that and there's a problem, communicate that with us so we can figure out how to work through this. And that's something I, I really have to give our, a lot of credit to our athletic department, but it's facility by facility. And we're being a private school. We had a different rules than, than some of the public schools. They were, they were governed differently. So we saw some issues with that, issues, differences with that. And we're seeing those same differences as we schedule. So like when we created our schedule for the spring, we had to include things of what's the capacity that you can have there. Some places it's a percent capacity. Some are saying nobody. And can we get spectators in? Some are saying yes, spectators. If you get to a certain point, like our basketball team and football team, they were able to have like two tickets per, per athlete. But that's not the same at every school. So we are keeping track of that. What about the locker room access? And those are, it, there's, to your point, there's no governing body saying do it this way. We are being told, follow the county guidelines, follow your department's guidelines, and communicate that with the people with whom you're competing so that they follow that. So you might, you're not going to see massive differences. You're going to see minor differences, locker room access, and then who gets to how many spectators. But we're not seeing a, a wholesale differences across the state. We're just seeing minor variations. Okay. But our state is totally different than other states. It is, it is totally different in theory, although the, the rules that you're talking about are those, or the guidelines, really, we call them guidelines, are not terribly different from what we're doing. So I, I realize that there's sort of these common funnels that ha take place where, you know, states or entities arrive at the same, almost the same conclusions via different routes. And so that's what I'm curious about. So Brian, you're, you have been training, whether it's club or high school in some way, tell us what's going on with what, I mean, what are you doing now? Because you, you, I think the train, let, let's just say the amount of training that you as a coach are doing right now, I'm guessing is less than 25% of what you do normally. Something like that. Is that, am I wrong? Um, no, you're not wrong. Um, definitely when you look at also over the last you know year at this point. So uh, Paul, I'm jealous and I'm moving to Ohio. That's <laughs> the first thing you should know. You're more than welcome to come to our tournaments. Let's go. <laughs> Um, but so our club has been shut down since March. So there's been no age group program. Our school has a, uh, rule, um, on at campus right now that no visitors are allowed on, uh, allowed on campus. So no outside user groups can use any of the facilities. So we have been since, uh, Rudy Gobert tested positive, uh, that day on, uh, we have been, we have not had club running now high school came back for a stint over the summer. We were off till after the 4th of July. We came back in a, uh, you know, no, no sharing of equipment, um, just basically conditioning-based training. And then through the fall, we made it all the way to winter break. Uh, winter break is when things really started to pick up. We got shut down, I believe, again on December 10th. And then we just started again this past Monday. So we had almost another two months off in the middle of this. So it's been, it's been significantly less than we're used to. Um, I am, I'm really lucky that I work at a school like our West Lake though, that has resources and the ability to do things. We are now testing once a week. So all of the athletes that are on campus are getting tested. 
um, which I think we're one of the very few high schools that's doing something like that. Uh, we've moved our weight room that was indoors to outdoors. So yeah, it's all tented now. So the kids can continue to do weightlifting. Um, we're still in virtual school. So it's, it's, it is difficult getting kids from home to the pool and then back and just pool scheduling and things like that. But it's, it's been a really, really weird wild run here for the last 10 months. And, and something that you, I think alluded to earlier, which is one of the toughest parts for us, I think, or at least for me as coaches is I get to hear what's going on in Ohio or Texas or Utah, or, you know, even in my own state, I mean, like, you know, some schools in my own County are coming back to classroom and, and they're training, you know, way more consistently or orange County training way more consistently or doing these things. And so uh, it's just, it's, it's tough with this wide, wide spectrum of, of the way people are approaching this and, and being really handcuffed to certain rules. I, I want to get back to that because that you're expressing a bit of frustration, which I'm assuming that the families are also doing at least some of them, but uh, what does your practice look like right now? Like, what are you able to get done? Um, so we are, uh, we do, like condition all conditioning movement stuff. So a lot of, a lot of fundamentals, basic fundamentals, and we are allowed to share a ball with one other person. And that's, that's it. So, um, we can, we can pass, we can shoot if there's only one, uh, like a, that, that person is only shooting on one goalie, but there is no sharing of equipment. Okay. Um, and, and then um, this is something for both of you, but I'll talk to, you about, to Brian first. You're around in some way or another, these athletes all the time. How have they been doing? Like how, how what, what, what would you say? How can you basically synopsize what's going on with all of your kids? It's, it's devastating. It's, it's devastating. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, like it's, it's definitely, it's, it's like, it's gut wrenching in a lot of ways because they're, mis- they're miserable. The, the kids are absolutely miserable. And um, I think one of the, the really cool parts about being a coach is like, you get this like really uh, like cool relationship with the kids. I see them every day. Um, often I see them more times during certain parts of the year than their parents see them. And uh, to see them like that is, is really tough. And then to know that some of the decision-making is made by people that are not in that type of relationship with the kids is really difficult because it becomes much more real when you see it on a daily basis. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I, I echo everything you said. Yeah, I think you can see too, uh, there's like this, everything you said, absolutely. And we're in this phase where we're about to start a season and you can kind of feel like there's this hope that's got laced with dread on it. Like they, they want the season, but they're like, is it going to happen? They've been waiting so long to see it happen. And, you know, we, could we have done in the spring? Yeah, we could have, or in the fall, we could have, but we moved it. So now they're like, they're just kind of waiting for it to not happen, but they are, uh, I think we've been very fortunate that they've been able to have a a full winter season. So early on, it was, it was devastating completely. And you could, it was gut wrenching and you could see it was bad. There's been a lot of hope that's been reinstilled because they've been active with each other. And so like, we're on this uptick of, of an, of an emotional ride that they've been on. And, but for me as a coach, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak a little selfishly. It's been harder for me because I've been more removed from it uh, due to my personal reasons. And it is hard. Like, and there's not one person out here that goes, yeah, this is, this is what I want. Nobody wants this experience. Nobody wants to go through this. And, and it's amazing to see how the, the teammates have been able to stay in contact and gel and bond through that really excruciating experience. 
Um, I, I have a slightly similar, we've been back in the pool for quite some time and our pool is outdoors and Texas is just a different place and including Williamson County, which is different than Austin itself. And so um, I am not around the kids all the time, but to, to the degree that I am, it's been pretty good. They are pretty resilient. They understand what's going on and they're allowed to see one another. And so that, I think that makes a gigantic difference. And I will say that, um, I've had very, very little feedback from parents who express explicit concern. Now, there are some kids who have a genuine health issues. That is completely understandable that they would say, eh, we're going to back off. We're not going to go. But I, I'm wondering, uh, Brian, first of all, maybe you could address what has been the feedback from parents been? And, and maybe that ties in a little bit with the effort that you mentioned earlier, which is let them play. And there's a new effort that I just got in contact with called let them play water polo, which is going to piggyback on that apparently. So what is it that your understanding is of what's going on with parents in your, your program, but in the sport in general in California? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a ton of with, all of the, the families. I think one of the, just, I think we probably see this across the board is that this, it's a pretty wide spectrum of how people feel about this. Um, and I think every, I think you kind of get both sides. Some people are like, we need to, we need to go back and we need to start moving forward with our lives. And, and what this is doing in terms of mental health and physical health for people is, is like, it, it's hurting us on that end. And there's the other people that are um, deathly afraid. And I, and I, I think I really do empathize with both sides. Um, I think at this point we are, I mean, in, especially in California, so ready to come back. Uh, it's just been really long time. And as you can imagine, the kids have been on online school for, for 10 months, uh, at a computer screen all day. So, um, it's been really, really difficult um, on them. And I think parents are feeling that and there has been more of a urge or desire to uh, like really push and come back. And we are going to Utah next weekend to compete and almost all of my families are going. Um, so that gives you a small sample size. I don't want to, you know, put that on the entire water pool community in Southern California or the state of California by any means. But I think people are really, really excited and, and really want um to figure out a way to, to start getting these kids back. We have about 10 minutes left, but I'm, I'm fascinated about your trip to Utah. What is it that you can tell us about how that came about? And, uh, and obviously, again, you just mentioned the, the role that your parents are playing in that. Yeah. So uh, the real quick uh, story or um, lead up to that is that uh, I, we had been asked to go out there in January. And at that, that point, I was asked in December and we just got shut down again. So I was like, there's no way. And if we're not even in the pool at Harbor West, like I don't feel like we should be out in Utah competing. Um, I had heard from a number of coaches. I'm very close, uh, close with coach Sinclair at Newport. Uh, and he sent a team out there. We had talked. They, I mean, if, if you don't know Mark St. John, by the way, who's the, the, the kind of the tournament coordinator director, one of the best people in our sport, just a great guy. Um, world-class dude. He is first class, first class guy. Um, no better way to describe him. And he set this thing up in, in Utah and he's really doing everything he can to make sure that this is going to be safe as possible. We go out there on a Friday, every athlete is tested. Um, actually a few teams are going to stay. You can get tested as many times as you want. So Mark sets all of that up. The testing site is a half a block away from the pool. No spectators inside, um, coaches in masks, referees are masks, all that, all that stuff. Um, but really doing his best to just, bring back the sport and, and bring people together, give them a great opportunity that's safe and um, 
healthy way to do it. Right. Um, and Paul, you mentioned that the, 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 this has changed your typical schedule in that you would typically go somewhere else aside from Ohio. Ohio is a relatively small place for water polo. I think that's fair to say, but you're lucky in the fact that during the fall, specifically that you can go back East, you can go to other States. This is a derailed all of that for, um, how have your kids felt about that? Unfortunately, they're just happy to play. Like they, they would, they would, we love to do a spring break, California training trip. Yeah. They would love to do that. But if you say you don't get that, but you still get a season, they're going to say, we'll take the season. Like, we don't care about that. Hey, you can play, but you don't get to go to Chicago. That's okay. We get to play. Like you get to play, but you don't get to go to Michigan coach. We just want to (laughs) play, right? Like that's it. Play the game. And, and, you know, to what Brian said, like our parents are ready to go. Our parents have been ready to go. And we've been in school this whole time. Like we, we, we were able to, we shut down, did virtual last year and we've been in person since then. So they're like, we've shown what works let's do this thing. Let's go play. We don't care who, we don't care if you're going to be the same team 10 times. We don't want that ideally, but if we can play, let's go play. All right. Are you going to win a state championship, Paul? I, I hope so. Come that's on, man. The, that's what we're working for. You know, we're, we're trying, we're trying to play to win a championship. You play to win the game, right? As fun <laughs> it is, as it is to speculate about that. And it is fun to just push you on this. I, I have to confess that one of the things that I think about with a, a program like, uh, like Brian's is the seniors. It, it, it actually crushes me to think that they've been missing out on all of this. And I suppose we can consider ourselves fortunate that there's something of a collegiate season. Um, but there was a while there where the, some of the kids that I've trained who are playing in college were basically not going to be able to have a season. It's just absolutely, uh, if all of us can put ourselves in that same situation and just think, well, I wasn't that good. So I stopped, <laughs> I stopped playing college anyway. But the point being like, if they told me, oh, you know, the season's over, like you can't play this year. It's like, what a, what a crushing development that would be. I think that's been one of our driving factors. We want these kids to experience that. We want, especially these seniors that have worked really hard and like big picture, if it doesn't work, then there's life lessons you can gain from that. But if we can do it for them safely and everybody's going to be okay, you know, I think there's a there's a, a lot of space there that we can work with, you know? Yeah. Frustrating, but a very interesting conversation with you both. Uh, uh, Paul Split, Brian Flax. Thank you very, both very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the bis- biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. Production of TWP Sports LLC.